right, if you guys don't know my name, I'm Jake Sullivan. I used to get to spend a ton of time with you guys, and then as God kind of moves us around, I spend most of my time on a week-to-week basis uh, with our young adults. So if you're a senior in this room, like, you're invited. Like, once you graduate, we want to see you on Tuesday nights. God's doing an amazing deal amongst our young adults. We had 141 last week or two weeks ago. So God's growing that ministry. There's a place for you after you graduate. And it's not like, oh, you graduate. Hope you, hope you do well in life. Right, there's a place for you to go if you stay around, if you're doing a gap year, all summer long, etc. We We want you to be a part. This is not in my notes anywhere, and I probably shouldn't do this next. My message is long enough. But, you know, the Holy Spirit moves sometimes during worship. And one of the great things about trials is when you come to worship, you know the lyrics to be true. And I don't know, like, who in this room is is walking through a trial right now, a difficult season, a season that you didn't expect. But when you sing and worship the lyrics, great is your faithfulness, it is is true. Over the last 14 months, and I'm not going to get into the details, I have walked through the greatest trial of my entire life. A a, a season of brokenness in my family that has brought me incredible sadness, incredible despair. In the middle of all of it, I went blind for two months. I literally woke up one morning and I was just completely blind in my left eye. I had a cataract. The cataracts come to like people that are like 65, 70 years old, not guys who are 39 at the time. And, and the cataract sat right over my lens that I was completely blind. And due to COVID and getting me in and everything else, it was a two-month deal where I was blind in an eye. And I'm telling you, in July and August was the darkest season of my life. And only by the grace of God did I not fall away. That's how dark that season was. But now, 14 months into the season and starting to come to the other side of it, here's what I know to be true. Great is his faithfulness. Like, for you have never failed me yet. And I just know there's some of you in this room that are walking through something, and you're wondering, like, is that true? And it's true. And the brokenness, and maybe someday I'll have the opportunity to share all the details behind the brokenness, But in my darkest moments of greatest despair, he was there. He never left me. He never forsake me. He was the comfort in that season. So I just think as we we sing those lyrics and you're standing there saying, is it true? It's true. Like he's a faithful God. And he will meet you wherever you are at in whatever season you happen to be in. Tonight I'm excited. We're going to jump into... John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. We're starting a new series tonight called Power Move. And it's this idea like if we have Jesus in our corner, we are more powerful than we could ever imagine. Like not only is Jesus powerful, but he wants to work through you in a powerful way to display his glory to the world around you. And we're going to get to see him operate tonight in one of his miracles in John 6 where he feeds the 5,000. So if you have your Bible, we're going to jump in. I'm going to do my best small group leaders to get us out of here by as close to 8.30 as possible. I have a few personal examples. And I told Matt, if you had to cut my mic at some point, feel free and just do that. All right? I love telling stories and just sharing how God has worked in my own life. 
to display what he is teaching us through his word. We're John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and let's just jump in and we're just going to read it all and then we're going to break it down piece by piece tonight. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with the disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets and fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us through your word tonight. Lord, um, just show us your magnificence and how you work through your people to display your glory. So Lord, wherever our minds are right now, whatever our, wherever our hearts are right now, would you quiet them? Would you give us a peace to just dive into your word and would you speak to us tonight? We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's, let's jump into the first two verses. So it says, after this, Jesus went up to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Why were the people following him? This is like class participation. Why were the people following him? Somebody look. Yeah. He was healing the sick. Okay? So the people were like, whoa. All right. We're going to follow after this guy. And, and here are two questions that are often asked when preaching these verses. Here are two, and I hear them all the time. Like, what are your intentions for following Jesus? Are you following Jesus because of what he can do for you? Or because of who Jesus is to you. Then some type of message is preached about checking yourself and, and your te- intentions for following Jesus. And you, you leave a message like this and you begin to believe that Jesus does not want you. Or feeling that you're not welcome. I think that's completely unbiblical, first of all. I want you guys to hear that. It's unbiblical preaching and, quite frankly, really lousy preaching. Jesus will do what he needs to do to get your attention. Like, Jesus will do what he needs to do to get your attention. Then as you start following Jesus, he will fully reveal himself to you. At some point in the journey, following Jesus, the person of Jesus either becomes enough or doesn't. At some point, you come to the realization of following Jesus to the other side of the Sea of Galilee that he is worth it. Whether he ever does a miracle for you. He's already done enough. Like he never has to do a miracle for me because he has already done enough by laying down his life on the cross so I may have eternal life. Like at some point, that reality gets to be enough. 
But I, I say all of that to say this. I don't care why you're here tonight. I really don't. I don't care what your intentions are for being here. Many of you, your intentions are completely pure. Many of you, they're not. You want something from Jesus. You want Jesus to do something for you. You want him to fix something for you. Or it might be as simple as, I really like that girl. And I'm here. She invited me. Like, that was my story. I was in Larch Hall in Ames, Iowa, at Iowa State University, and there was this fairly attractive young lady named Janelle. And I liked her. And so I would strategically place myself wherever she was at, like outside of her class at 8 in the morning, or maybe outside of the elevator. I, I knew her schedule. I knew where she'd be. Yeah, it's a little creepy. Okay. But like, dudes, like, you just do what you need to do to get a date. And then one day, she said, hey, you want to come with me to Salt Company at Cornerstone Church in, a in Ames, Iowa? And I was like, what's Salt Company? Church? Like, I wasn't looking for Jesus. Grew up in an unbelieving home. I wasn't searching for Jesus. I wasn't looking for Jesus to fix anything. I was trying to get a date. And through trying to get a date, Jesus began to reveal himself to me. Now, he got my attention through Janelle, a very beautiful girl in my college dorm. And he revealed himself. So he, here's my plea to you tonight. Like, I don't care why you're here. Okay, if your mom and dad made you be here, your intentions are completely pure, you really love Jesus and all that he's done for you, or not, it doesn't matter. Here's my plea to you. Let Jesus reveal himself to you. In a few weeks, I'm going to be preaching an Easter message. The road to Emmaus, where they invite Jesus in, but they didn't know it was Jesus. It's the same message. Just invite Jesus in and let him reveal himself to you. Let's continue on. John 3 through 6 says, Jesus went up to the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And I want to stop here for just a second and point out that Jesus was not testing Philip as to say, if you get this answer wrong, you're no longer my disciple. He wasn't testing him like that. Rather, he was using this seemingly impossible situation to teach Philip, to stretch his faith. And ultimately to teach all the disciples and stretch all their faith. And, and here's the one thing I love about the example we get from Jesus towards his disciples. He used everyday life situations and circumstances as opportunities to teach his disciples. Like sometimes we get so caught up, guys, in our cultural context that teaching God's word and God's ways are done in a church by a pastor or in a Bible study by a leader. And yes, of course, that's a method of learning, it's a method of teaching, but it's the, not the only way to, be te to teach or to be taught. Like many times, life circumstances and situations are the opportunities to teach the most about who Jesus is. Like day-to-day -day life, not everything needs to be in a formal Bible study. Like Bible studies are good, small groups are good. Community gatherings in church are good. But for some of you that have Jesus, do you take advantage of the everyday life circumstances that come arise? 
That's an opportunity to point someone to Jesus. Like, he, here's an example for you guys. I did a lot of ministry all over Africa for 10 years, from 2008-9 until 2018. And so much of my heart is in Africa. One thing that God really began to reveal through the scriptures to me was this idea of relational discipleship. Like, I'm just going to do life with you. I'm actually going to get to know you. I'm going to build a relationship with you. And then I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to open up doors of conversation for the gospel that will ultimately point you to the person of Jesus. Crazy idea. And it's not typically how we do it in the United States. So we would take mission teams into Ghana. Typically teams of anywhere from 12 to 20 people. And, and let's say I had 15 people on any particular trip. And every night I have to feed them. We stayed in, we had two locations, Asakuma and Cape Coast. And we would stay in Asakuma at the Mercy New Life. And I can't call it a hotel because it's not a hotel. It's, it's a semi kind of a lodge that didn't fall on us. But we would eat outside in this little can, kind of canteen little, little area. And, and we'd have 15 people I'd have to feed at night. But I would never order for 15. I would order for 100. Because here's what I began to know about Africa is where there is food, there will be little people. They're hungry. Typically, maybe they've eaten one meal a day, and they will start roaming around. Now, you've got two cultural things going on. One, you've got the idea of relational discipleship that I'm trying to implement into our ministry, and then you've got the cultural context of Africa where to shoo the children away. We know Jesus never shooed the children away. He invited the children in, and then we wanted to teach relational discipleship. So I'd order food for 100. And there would be these little gates to this little area that we were eating. I'd open the gate, and I'd see a kid, and I'd invite him in to eat with us. And what began to happen is as we broke bread together, we, they would have conversations. They would get to know them. They'd get to know their story. They'd get to know their name. They'd get to know who they're from. They, they would get invited to go meet their mother or their father or their great-grandma, etc. And what would happen is relationships would be built. Discipleship would be done. The Holy Spirit would open the door for gospel conversations and the gospel would go forth. At the same time, we're breaking down cultural barriers to say, let the children come. You want to transform your community, transform it through the gospel, through young people. But it was everyday life circumstances and situations. Then from there, we would say, Holy Spirit, move. Let's use what we have gotten to say, who do you want to take with us? So we were in Asakuma. We would go to Cape Coast. It would be a six-hour drive. And we go around and we say, Joe, like, who do you want to bring with? And we go, what do you mean we'll bring with? Yeah, somebody that's going to go on this six-hour trip with you. They're going to leave their village. They've probably never left this community before. They're going to ride in a bus with you for six hours. They're going to spend four days in your room in Cape Coast, and they're going to get to see the ocean, and they're going to have the experiences. And you know what God's going to do is God is going to move. And the impact that that had on discipleship. But culturally... We so often think that everything needs to be done in a Bible study. So if Jesus was in America, this is how I think he would do this thing. I like, guys, let's get in a quiet room, all right? And then we're all going to open up our Bibles, and we're going to talk through John chapter 6, 1 through 14. No, he sat him down on the side of a mountain with 10, 15,000 people following him. And said, you know what, I'm going to use this situation, this circumstance, to teach my disciples. It's an amazing way to get the gospel to go forth. Continue on in, in verses 7 through 9. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but like Jesus, what are they for so many? And oh goodness, I want you guys to see this tonight. You don't need to know all the answers to follow Jesus. Just let Jesus teach you. Like, just let Jesus teach you. Did Philip get the answer to the question right? No, he did not. Did Andrew get the answer to the question right? No. And it is okay if you don't know. Like, let Jesus teach you. This whole, this whole parable is not so much about the miracle as it's about Jesus teaching his disciples. Ultimately, getting in his word and teaching us. Like some of us in this room are so scared to participate in small groups because we, we, we think we might get the answer wrong. Like get it wrong. Like Jesus' disciples got stuff wrong all the time. I was a Christian for four years before I knew what the Great Commission was. Like my initial belief, and I was vocal, I know that surprises all of you guys, but I'm very vocal about whatever I believe, whether it's right or wrong. But why do we need to go there when we have so many problems right here? And then all of a sudden, Jesus, through his word, taught me what the Great Commission was. I knew nothing about unreached or unengaged people groups. I had no concept of the nations. And what I was saying was wrong. We're called to the nations. It's not a choice. It's not an option. We all participate, whether by going or by giving. And what I spoke for about four years was completely wrong. And Jesus didn't condemn me. He didn't kick me out of the group. He doesn't kick Andrew out of the group. Like, man, you're wrong. Let me go find somebody else who can get the answer right. I remember my very first Bible study. Oh, we had a guy named Dylan DeBrain. He's so much smarter than me. And this was really fun in young adults, for you guys that might be there, like John Christensen, like my other young adult, he's so much smarter than I am. And we're talking about Calvinism and Arminianism. And I'm like, what? And I remember going and looking it up in my Bible, like the whole, like, we look up different words and stuff. And I'm like, it's not even in the Bible. Like, what are these guys talking about? I didn't even see these words in the Bible. Like, literally, my, my brain was about to explode. I was hired as a pastor at Grace Church. The th- this, this is going to blow your mind. I probably shouldn't tell you guys this. I was hired as a pastor to lead all next generation ministry here at the church. And I had no idea what apologetics meant. Like, not a clue. <laughs> Let alone this concept of young earth versus old earth. I better not make, I was going to make a joke, and then I was like, I better stop. I'm like, who cares if it's young or old? Right? I'm not going to say that. Okay. I had no idea, like, young earth, old earth, what are they talking about, and who cares? Like, Jesus died for me. I still don't know how God got all the animals in the ark. I had a really good friend, Chris Murray. I probably shouldn't have said his name, because this is on camera. Right? All right, regardless, he's never going to watch it. Right? And he, he was an atheist because he couldn't figure out how God got the animals on the ark. I don't know. Right, that's going to hang you up. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, and this one's going to top it all. I became a Christian right before my senior year in college. I got engaged two months before I became a Christian, and we had to sign our lease at that time. So I argued with my senior pastor about why it would be a good idea to live with my fiance during my senior year in college. And I refused to change my stance on it. I refused to move out. I became a Christian, I still lived with my fiance, guess what? He still married me. The church still loved me. And now I look back like, oh, my gosh, what was I doing? But Jesus still loved me. Like, you're going to get some answers wrong. 
And you're potentially not going to understand some things. And it's okay. Let Jesus teach you. Let his word teach you. Let your small group leaders teach you. Like Jesus doesn't condemn Philip or Andrew for getting the question wrong. Now let me be very clear, guys in particular. Let me be very clear. There's a difference between not knowing and willingly choosing sin. There's a difference between not knowing and willingly choosing sin. There are consequences that will come to you for willingly choosing sin. And I know some of you, how you might think, I will just claim it that I didn't know. No, that's not what I'm saying. The ultimate point is for those of you out there who really don't know. I was in that chair. There's times in Bible study with Pastor Troy, staff Bible study, I'm like, what are we talking about? Like, I've never even heard that word before. It's okay. I'd be confident in that place. Let's continue on, John 6 to 10, or John chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and there were about 5,000 in number. A couple quick observations. One, there were likely more than 5,000. We see the men were counted. Typically, women and children were not counted. We already know there was a child there. They had the five loaves and the two fish. If there was a child there, likely culturally, there were women there. So it could have been 10,000, 15,000 people. I just want you to notice what Jesus does. Like he has this people sit down in an orderly fashion. And here's what I would say that I've learned about Jesus. Where there is chaos, he will bring order. Like where there is chaos, he will bring order. Imagine the chaotic scene. A whole bunch of hungry people filling up a stadium, essentially, 10,000, 15,000 people that are headed to Passover, following Jesus because he's healing the sick. Can you imagine how chaotic that scene was? And yet Jesus brought order to it. And one of the questions I often get from students is, how can I decipher if it's from the enemy or if it's from God? And here's one way. There's many ways. But here's one way. If it brings chaos, it's not from God. If it brings order and peace, it is from God. Like our God is a God of order. He takes chaos and he puts it in to order. Let's finish out these few verses so I don't get yelled at by small groups. All right, Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. All right, it's all you can eat buffet, fellas. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Here's the last thing I really want you guys to see tonight, and then we're going to finish with a a really important question. Jesus is an example setter. He's an example teacher. Jesus sometimes will reveal himself through preaching. We see that. The Sermon on the Mount is a great example. Sometimes he reveals himself through the meeting of needs, physical needs, emotional needs. We see him do that all the time. And then sometimes he reveals himself through doing what seems to be impossible. And in this room, I think we all strongly believe that Jesus reveals himself through preaching and the meeting of physical and emotional needs. I don't think there would be any argument over that. However, I do have this question, and this is really the question that Jesus was getting with his disciples. Do you really believe that I can do the impossible? Has your faith been stretched to that place? 
Like, do you? And again, it's not necessarily, I'm not going to get up here and get five loaves and two fish and we're going to multiply and we're going to feed all of you in prayer. God could. He could do it again if he wanted to. I'll give you a couple practical examples. Hopefully I don't get lost too much in these two stories. I grew up as an unbeliever. My dad was in law enforcement. My uncles were in law enforcement. And then I grew up on top of that being a, a Division I level athlete. And in Division I athletics, almost everybody, like normal language, is constant cussing. Every other word out of my mouth was an inappropriate cuss word. All the time, in every environment, I talked trash by cussing. I talked to my brother through cussing. I talked to everyone. Like, it was normal language to me. I came across this verse one day in Comp 101 in Iowa State when I was trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. And I had my Precious Moments pink Bible. It was the only Bible I had. And it, and it says something like, like, whatever comes out of your mouth is ultimately what is in your heart. So I did this. And I'm not suggesting this, okay? I'm not suggesting this method of, of having Jesus reveal himself. But I said, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, then have me stop cussing. Honest truth. And it was like, boom. And everybody, like my parents thought I joined a cult. My teammates were like, what's happened to you? Like everybody's like, something weird's happening to Jake. Now, I'm not saying I never cussed again. Like I've cussed, even as a pastor. I like, right, sometimes my kids irritate me. I try to keep it limited. Right? But, but it was gone. And lately in this new season of life, I've been hanging out with a bunch of former teammates and a bunch of former people that kind of ran in circles that I ran in, and they all still talk like that. And you know what they all say to me? Every time they cuss, which is like every third word, sorry, sorry, I shouldn't cuss, sorry. A whole bunch of them come into Grace Church, like, ah, oh, I shouldn't cuss in a church. God revealed himself to me through changing how I spoke. So I don't want you to read the scripture and be like, oh, he fed 5,000. Like, he, don't, he doesn't do that anymore. Here's another example for you guys. Well, I was doing ministry in Africa. I had this vision to, to build an orphanage and all this other stuff. And one day, Cornerstone Church names calls me out and says, hey, we're doing a free will offering. We want to give you work in Africa. Here's one thing that you can't do, right? Like, if we give you a donation, you can't let it sit in a bank account. You have to use it right away. Oh, you have something you could do with it. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, the free will offering was $40,000. And there was this plot of land I'd been looking at and this vision that God had laid on my heart. And the problem was the, the, the full vision was a $250,000 project. Some of you may have heard bits and pieces of the story. So I took the $40,000. I took the five loaves and two fish. And I said, okay, I'm going to believe, God, that you can do the impossible. I took it. I bought the land. And I had just enough money to lay the foundation. And over the next year, we get $50 here, $100 there, and we put another brick on. About a year after we got the initial gift, a guy named Jay Lehman calls me up. And he was a financial advisor in Sioux City. His son played basketball for me. That was the only relationship we had. And he says, hey, I heard about the stuff you're doing in Africa. I have a guy that I advise that might want to give some money. Could you put your stuff together, and I'll present it to him and see if he wants to donate. And I was like, yeah, that would be great. So I put together everything, and I sent it to him. And a couple weeks go by, and Jay calls me up and says, hey, the guy wants to give a gift. So oh, okay. He said, but I want to drive down to present it to you. And I was like, oh, it might be a nice gift, like $5,000 or $10,000. And so Jay drives down, and he hands me a check, and the check is folded, and I open it up, and $220,000. And 
And now here's the crazier part of the story. The guy that gave $220,000 never met me, never spoke to me, was not a believer, and had never given a dollar away in the 30 years that this guy named Jay was his financial advisor. It was the first time he'd ever given a dollar away. And that orphanage was built. Three years later, I finally got to meet the guy. Like, only God. God was given five loaves, two fish, and God did what only God can do. So tonight, to kind of end, and this will head us into small groups, and small group leaders, whatever questions you currently have, throw them away. I want to have this kind of conversation around this question. Don't tell LB, all right? So what does this miracle of feeding of 5,000 have to do with us here tonight in 2022? This section of scripture is not so much about the actual miracle as it is about Jesus' desire to teach his disciples and ultimately teach us. Like, I believe the principle behind this entire miracle is about teaching us, the ones following Jesus, to recognize, listen now, recognize what we have access to. And upon that recognition, to believe in faith that God can use it and multiply it to display who he is to the world around us. Look back at verse 8. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here, somebody that was so insignificant in the crowd, uh, like the most insignificant person in the entire crowd. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Though Andrew did not fully understand what Jesus was going to do, he recognized what he did have. We start there to recognize what we do have. And then we believe in faith, verse 11, that Jesus can do immeasurably more. Jesus can make the power move that we can't on our own. Look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. So here's the question for you tonight. What do you have that God can multiply in order to display himself to those around you? What do you have that God can multiply to display himself to those around you? Who in here has a car? That might be your greatest ministry tool. Like that might be your greatest ministry tool. There is a girl that lives next door to us. And the worst thing like any human being can ever do is ride the school bus. Right? Like it's like, no. Now you guys like riding the school bus? Like, I think the school bus is like torture. Like, one, I get car sick, right? and two, I don't like the school bus. And it takes forever. So how are you utilizing your car? Sophie and her family, they do not know the Lord. So every day she rides to school with my daughter, Jennifer. And no one preaches, but we listen to 96.3 every morning, or Maverick City. Like, every morning. It's there every single morning. She gets in the car. Jesus is there. Like, how do you utilize your car? It's something God's given you. He's put us in an affluent community. Your parents have either blessed you or you've worked hard to get it. How do you utilize it so that God can multiply it so he can display himself to those around you? How about an academic gift? I know an individual football player is a Division I athlete that really struggles in math and struggling to pass his junior year in math. If he doesn't pass his junior year in math, he's not eligible to be a Division I athlete. How many of you in this room are like mathematical geniuses because you've been homeschooled and had great teachers 
and you have an academic gift that you could use to help this individual. I don't know who's in your sphere. Have you ever thought about an academic gift being something that God could multiply in order to display himself to the world around you? How about an athletic gift? Here's my pet peeve. Here's what I tell Eden Prairie athletes all the time. Do you know why no students come to your game? Because you make no impact in the school. Like, I'm, I'm just real. Like, you guys, some of you guys don't know me. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, who is this guy? Like, I'm just being real. Like, if you're making an impact in your school, there was this athlete named Jalen Suggs. Everywhere you went, Jalen Suggs plays for the Orlando Magic now, for you guys that don't know basketball. He was at Minnehaha Academy. I, and I think he loved Jesus. But everywhere he went, the place was packed. Everywhere. One of the most influential young men that I've ever been around because he used his athletic gift to make an impact on his school. How can God multiply your athletic gift? An extra bedroom in your house. There's a young man that lives in North Minneapolis that has to travel to Eden Prairie every day. And the way they do it, based on busing situations and all this equal education stuff, he has to Uber. And now with the Uber business and COVID, there's sometimes he's stuck at the school. Or he has to Uber back and forth in North Minneapolis every day. What about one of you have an extra bedroom in your house and you come to mom and dad and say, hey, I know this person, they really need a place to stay Monday through Thursday. Could we open up that bedroom? Could God use an empty bedroom in your house in a way to display himself to the world around you? A, quick, a couple other quick ones. Extra cash in your lunch account. A pair of shoes. Do you know every pair of shoes that I have? Do you know who I get them from? Pastor Troy, because we wear the same size shoe. Really, really, really good option. Okay? But here's what I did. I've walked through a season that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And every time I am down, do you know what happens? Pastor Troy calls me, says, swing by my house, and I know what that means now in his code language. I got a pair of shoes for you. These shoes. Pastor Troy, like, they're too colorful for me, but they fit you. It's a blessing. It displays to me what Pastor Troy preaches on Sunday. And he multiplies it. He got a lot of shoes. Like Pastor Troy's got a lot of shoes. A connection, a network, a talent, artistic, graphic design, worship. Like worship. Who has the ability to sing in here? Who knows the ability, has somebody that knows the ability to play an instrument or sing, and you're not doing anything with it besides coming every Wednesday night? And then I got to listen to Sam whine about how he can't find enough people on the worship team. No, I'm being dead honest. It's a gift. Like God's placed the ability to play a musical instrument or sing. I don't. You don't want to hear me sing. My experience in music class, I got kicked out of music class in eighth grade and my mom was the hall monitor. So she walked by me every day. But I'm serious. Like you all have something. And it's not insignificant. It's not insignificant. And our God is so powerful that he can multiply it to display himself to the world around you. And a lot of you are not seeing what he has placed before you. So tonight as we head into, into small groups, I want you guys to discuss this. Like, what has God given you? Think outside the box. And while you're thinking outside the box, believe the impossible. Like learning to not overlook what you have in your hand and believing in faith that God can use it to display his power and glory is the principle being taught in this miracle. 
This is also, and I want you guys to understand that this is also a consistent theme through all throughout the Bible. Whether it's the parable of the talents. What did David have to defeat Goliath? Yeah, he had a slingshot and a rock. While the Israelite army is standing there with all their guns or whatever they had back in that day, swords or whatever. He had a slingshot and a rock. Like he saw what he had. How about Rahab's house? How does she hide the Israelite spies? Through a bunch of flax in her house, whatever a bundle of flax was. That's where she hid them and saved her entire family. Or the widow and Elisha with the jar of oil. God is constantly over and over and over through Scripture. He's saying, what have I given you? Then have faith to believe that I can multiply. Like, will you allow, like tonight, will you allow Jesus to make a power move through you? Let's pray. Lord, you're good. God, tonight, would you reveal to us what you have given to us? Whether that's five loaves and two fish, like that small boy on the side of that mountain. If it's an academic gift, if it's a car, if it's shoes, if it's money, if it's a talent, whatever that thing might be. And God, tonight, would we believe in faith that you can multiply it beyond anything we could ever imagine to the point that there would be leftover. Not for our glory, Lord, but for yours. So you would display who you are to the world around us. So God, give us eyes to see tonight. Give us eyes to recognize what you have placed before us. And Lord, we cry out to you. Continue to do what you did on that mountainside with those 5,000 people. Continue to do it. We know, God, you are God of the impossible. That you want to display yourself to those around us, Lord. So we cry out to you with everything we have. Do what you have always been doing. And God, would you do it through us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You guys can head to small group. Love you guys. Matt will be back next week.